I love that song. In you, there's life everlasting. In you, there is freedom for my soul. Amen? Freedom for my soul. Amen. This morning, we are gathering together. We're going to be still journeying in the book of Judges. We're going to be camping out in Judges 6. So if you have the word of God with you today, if you got it on your phone or in hard copy, won't you grab that? One of the greatest gifts that we as believers have is the ability, is the ability to pick up the word of God and look back. God has granted us the ability to see his glory and his great plan lived out and rejected. Generation after generation, are they for God or are they against God? Will we be a generation that puts God at the center and moves all other, other things out of the way? Nothing takes center stage except God and his plan. Family, career, our home, our car, our finances, dreams. These are all important, but, but because Christ is the center of this generation's life, all choices are made for family, for career, where you will live, what you will spend your money on, coincides with his great plans. We pray, God, even this morning as we were singing, show us your glory. Show us your power. Well, we pray that in our lives, in our everyday lives, in our coming, in our going, knowing that he has a great plan. Will we declare we are a generation for God? Or do our lives tell a different story? When I was a youth pastor, one of our favorite verses that we would love to share with the youth that were coming in was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then we would stop right there. We'd say, write this down. For God has a plan for your life. He's going to prosper you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to harm you. He's going to give you a hope and a future. Kids were like, yes, God has a plan for my life. But there's more to that verse. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we will leave out. Today, I'm not going to leave that out. It says, then you will call on me and come to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. These words spoken from the very mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. I love the, 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 the story of Jeremiah. The Bible declares that before he was born in his mother's womb, that God had a plan. He said, I, I know the plans what will happen to your life? You'll be a mighty warrior. You'll do great things for him. Jeremiah is also known, though, as the weeping prophet. He was one that was called by God, sent by God, and moved by God to warn God's people, but he cried a lot. He was always crying. You say, why is this guy crying? Why does he have to cry about? He's a mighty warrior for God. He tells the people. Well, because he's seen firsthand of what it was like to watch a generation grasp after everything except God. He would sit. He would be with the people. He'd walk in the streets. He'd meet with them. And he'd say, no, no, no. Don't go that way. Don't allow this to influence your life. Do not be a generation that runs after everything. Set your life on God. Set your heart on God. Build your family on God. He would declare these things. 
Jeremiah 9, 1 says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, for I would weep day and night for the slaying of my people. Jeremiah 13, 7 says, If you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. This young guy who loved God was among a people that ran after everything except the promises of Jesus Christ. They would put everything else in that place. And over the last three weeks, we've been diving headfirst into a heart check analysis. And for some, this has been a deep search within, digging to the core, and as the word of God declares, destroying the idols that take place or take the place of God. But for others, let's just be serious for a moment too. That's serious, but this is also serious. This has been a terrifying three weeks. Because for some, we have let idols become our God. We have built our schedules, built our finances, built our families around these things. And it's hard to remove these things. It's hard. It's terrifying. Because when we move them and when we cut them out, that means there's going to be a hole. And the cycle is usually we just fill that hole with something else. But God wants to take that place. God wants to be the center of your life. And before we even get into the word of God this morning, before we even look at what the Israelites were doing in this passage, let us come together. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. We declare your name here in this building. We are your people called by your name. This morning we were singing songs, I will follow and build your kingdom here, Lord. Use your people. Well, Father, this morning we come into, into this room together, uniting our hearts as one, knowing that you have great plans, and we need to hear them. We need to know them. We want to follow after you. We want to be a generation that has you at the center of our family, of our workplace, of our children, of our spouse. You're the center. Of our finances, you're the center so that you can do what you need to do to build your kingdom. God, we pray this morning that you will help us in the name of Christ. How many here today have seen the, the TV show CSI? Japan up. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of it, but I've seen a couple shows, and usually they begin the show with some kind of something that has taken place, maybe a crime or something that is going on. And they usually pan in, and there's a scene, and then they spin the rest of the show trying to figure out what happened. Well, that's what we're going to be doing here today. we got one main idea, and we're going to spend the rest of the, the Word of God looking at that one idea and showing how God can liberate us, can free us, can use us, can put us to work for His kingdom. As we look at the Word of God today, we're going to begin in Judges 6. So turn with me to that passage, and let us read together. Judges 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Very first thing. 
And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Halamachites, Halamachites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Median so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. We begin this morning with the chosen people of God, very first sentence, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. God's chosen people allowed other gods, possessions, lust of the flesh, earthly desires to take their hearts, and God allowed desert dwellers with camels to overcome them. Their promised land has now been reduced to dens in a mountainside. We read that the mountains were their stronghold, not God. So we even just begin this, this passage as we dive in this week as God's chosen people doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and now they're hiding and living in dens inside of mountains. This is what's going on for God's chosen people. They're so worried. They're fear. They're living in fear. They're sending one person out to look. Are they out there? What's going on? Okay, your job today is go count the camels because we need to know how many camels they have. That guy goes out to the front. I can't count the camels. So they wrote that in the Bible. They couldn't even count the camels. That's how worried they were. There were so many things, so much opposition, so many things to overcome that they were so worried that they just kept moving back. Just kept moving back. Let's move back. Let's gather together. Oh, look, there's a mountain. There's a cave. Let's get in the cave. Let's hide. And every time, every harvest year, they go out to put their, their plants out to get their crops, to feed their families. They, these people would just come up and steal it all. They were oppressed. They felt defeated. They felt, why try? What is going on here? Week one, Pastor Rick read this to us. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready because you're going to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you to the Israelites. Listen to this. I will give you every place where you set your foot. It's yours. Put your foot down, you get it. My mom used to say, don't let me put my foot down. Well, it's the same thing here. Wherever you put your foot down, I will give it to you. As I promised Moses, your territory will, territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with, you, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to the ancestors, that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong, be courageous, be very careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left, to the right or to the left, 
that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always at your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So we get this great promise. We get this beginning. They're about to go into the land, and God's saying, be strong, be courageous. I've got a plan, kingdom purpose here for you. You're a part of that. You're important. Every place you put your foot, it's going to be yours. And today, we see them hiding in mountains, in caves. The mighty people of God are hiding in the caves. What is going on? Because God's people didn't listen to his instructions, their great promises were taken away. Their mighty influence on the culture disappeared. The mighty people of God are hiding in the side of a mountain. Their resources needed for great ministry to reach other people, to have influence on the people around them, are stolen each and every year, and God's people are forced into a primitive existence. The people surrounding them seem impossible to overtake. They are doing everything just to survive, let alone lead and live prosperous. Sometimes as Christians, we can live this way. We can feel that the culture or the things that are going on in our lives or the things that we have allowed to take center, they're just too much. We have to feed into those things so that we can survive. Sometimes, as a Christian, we just want to survive another day. We'll learn and we'll think about living and leading at another time. Just this morning, I just need to get through this day. Have you ever been there in your life? I just got to get through this. When God says, I want you to live and lead for my kingdom. The main idea today, as we are going to camp out, the main thing that we're going to look at is disobedience forfeits the promise. It equals the plundering of the kingdom of God. So disobedience forfeits the promise, and it equals the plundering of the kingdom of God. See, the church, we, the God's people, we still live in primitive existence because we allow outside desires and man-made idols to monopolize kingdom resources. Let me read that one more time. The church still lives in a primitive existence because we allow outside desires and man-made idols to monopolize kingdom resources. Let me break that down. Let me ask you a few questions. What would happen if God's people just in this one congregation, as Pastor Rick has been preaching over the last three weeks to remove our idols, destroy them, not just move them around, take them out. What if we were to do that? Destroy our idols as a congregation, as one, and pray that God would use his people and the resources we have to build the kingdom. Think about that question. What do you think could be done? Just here. Just with the people in this room. We're not talking about all the churches in Oshawa or the Durham region. We're just talking about just this one body. What would happen? What would happen to our family's schedules? What would happen to our desires and dreams if they were decided from the deep love and pursuit of Christ? What does God want to happen? What does God want to happen for my family and for my marriage? What does God want to happen for my kids? 
What does God want, to, want me to do and press in with my church, the people that I come and worship with? What would happen? Do we really know what could be done just with the people in this room when we give ourselves fully over to God? See, I don't know if we really know or understand what could be done. See, I believe that as we begin to obey God, God begins to reveal himself more. Sometimes when we live into disobedience and we're, we're not really fully in, we only get a little bit. This is all you can handle. I'm not even going to show you the next chapter. I'm not even going to show you the next part of what you could do because you, you're not getting this part right. But if we were to be all in, if we were to be all there, what could happen? It's like sometimes in our, in our lives and in our personal lives, there are these unexpected, uh, unexpected financial emergencies that come up. Something comes up. How, how many of you in this room have had a, uh, an emergency thing come up and you're like, it's a lot of money? Just put your hand up if that has ever happened. Yeah, that is, uh, that's happening all the time. Something I didn't budget for, something that um, I can't, God, I can't deal with this right now. I can't afford it. An expense comes up, just say, for $1,000. Do any of you have $1,000 that you could give me right now? Just pull it out. No. Well, maybe a couple. <laughs> but majority of us don't have $1,000. But what if I asked you for a quarter? Could you afford a quarter? Yeah, a quarter's nothing to you. What if I went up to 50 cents? Maybe a dollar. I'm pushing it right here. I'm going for a dollar. If I was to ask you for a dollar, you're like, a dollar? That's not really going to make a difference. That's really not going to make a difference for the kingdom, one dollar. If I went home to my couch, um, sometimes we'd be looking in our couch, we'd find like eight bucks and change. Like, that's, I need a thousand. I only got eight bucks. It's not really going to do anything. But if I asked you each for your quarter, 50 cents or maybe a dollar, and we all put it together, that big problem that we thought that would, we would never personally on our own could ever overcome and we don't know what to do with it becomes a joke because we each gave a quarter because we each gave 50 cents. Maybe you were the one today that gave a dollar. And that problem goes away. What does God have in store for kingdom purposes for Calvary Baptist Church? And what would happen if we were all in for his plan? This week, I actually looked up. I didn't actually know this. How many weeks or how many hours in a week? There's 168 hours in a week. And give or take hour. There's 168 hours in a week, but how many we're awake for, depending on how many hours you sleep. They recommend eight hours. Most of us sleep six, less if you're in university or college. It's midweek term. It's mid. It's midterm week. But what if? All of us here were just to give one hour. On a typical Sunday, we have about 1,200 people in the church. One hour to press in. We would have seven weeks worth of time to give to God's kingdom if each of us were to just give one hour. What if you gave 15 minutes? What if you gave 20? What if you're not serving at all and you came to somebody and asked Pastor Kelvin, how can I get involved? But each of us were to put an hour aside just for God's work and God's kingdom. What would happen? What kind of ministry could be done 
How many people would possibly be affected by the gospel message in a whole new way? In a whole new way. See, God had this plan for the Israelites. Go in. Be effective. Wherever you put your foot, I'll give it to you. It's yours. God's people go in. They see all this beauty. Oh, this is great. Look at the honey. Look at all the great stuff. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And eventually, they're gathering all the supplies for themselves instead of helping and, and putting out God's message. They're hoarding. And eventually, someone comes up and says, hey, I like what you got. Let me take it. And now you got nothing. This is what's happening to God's people in this story. And eventually, they just keep moving back, moving back, moving back, instead of going forward and allowing God to use them. See, like I said at the very beginning, we can look at God's word and we can see his glory and we can see his rejection. And we, as the people of God who gather in this congregation, have a choice. We can be all in for God or we can be scattered for God. How would your kids be affected and families changed if all of us were to say yes to God? Second Chronicles 7, 14 through 16 says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them, then I will hear from heaven. If my people, I'm one of God's people, me, I count myself a part of that, a part of his church. If I would come to him and humble myself, that means talking to God and saying, God, I was wrong. And I would pray and I would seek his face and I would turn from my wicked ways, the idolatry, the things that I put in the place of God. I would move that out of the way and ask him, come and help me. His word says, I will hear them. I'll hear you, Nick. I'll forgive your sin and I will heal your land. This is an individual thing, but it's also a corporate thing. It's my people coming together, gathering together. Every Sunday we come together, it's the people coming. And we together, called by God's name, if we would humble ourselves and pray and seek, and if we would uproot these idols and move them out of the way, what will happen? He will hear us from heaven. And you will forgive us, and you'll heal our land. It says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And many of us may think this building, God will always be in this building, but that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the personal in here. God will always be in here listening to our prayers. He will always be in our life never leaving or forsaking. Right here, I've chosen, consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. Revival. Revival begins when the people of God cry out for help. We see this, we've read this. First, Judges 6, 6. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. They cried help. 
they seen their situation. They seen where they were at. And they cried out for help. There have been times, everyone I believe in this room can confess that, where we have looked at the situation and said, God, I need some help. I can't do this anymore. They have camels. It's too much. Revival begins when the people of God cry out for help and when the people of God finally realize what is happening and come to their senses and ask God for help, he acts. He acts. We don't have a God that turns his back on us. We have a God that stands for us. He looks at us. He knows our heart. He sees our situation. And when we ask for help, he acts. Judges 6, 7 through 10 says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of the Midians, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, in, in, whose you, who, in whose land you live. God always reminds us of the great things he has done. Think back. What has God done for you? When you cried out for help, was he there for you? Many times over my life when I, I get into that desert place where I feel like I can't control this anymore, I'm trying to be the God of it, God often reminds me of the, th- of the times where he was faithful, where he was just, where he came through when I couldn't do it anymore. God does that. But at the end of this verse, he says, but you have not listened to me. You've not listened to me. You see, even though we fall short of the glory of God, he still forgives. When we are real and genuine, God forgives and he changes and he acts. When we cry out for help with a true repentant heart, spiritual revival begins to take place. The act of repentance is critical for spiritual renewal and revival. I want to see spiritual revival. I want to see it in my own life. I often pray, God, how do we see revival? Do we need a tent meeting? Do we need a program? What do we need? But what we really do need is repentance. Repentance is critical for spiritual renewal and revival. See, in your study this week, as we gather for small groups, you're going to see that there is a difference between repentance and regret. It's one of the questions you're going to work on tonight. You've probably tackled it this week in your homework. As you got ready, as you prepared. The difference between repentance and regret. So my sub-point today of that is I'm sorry versus I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry versus I'm sorry I got caught in the act. There's a difference. See, with repentance, you are sorry. You feel sorrow. You feel distress. Your actions produce a change in character. Your actions produce a change in character. 
Pastor Rick taught us last week that it's a change in direction. I thought it was awesome. I was sitting where Pastor Keith was. He walked this way, pointed his feet, turned around, went back this way. He goes, that's repentance. That's how I got it in my head. (laughs) It's going the other way. I did this, and it had this result. I hurt. I broke. I fractured. I cracked. I let down. And I don't want this result ever again. Look at these consequences. Look what my actions did. Help me, God. Forgive me. Change me. That's what repentance is. Regret, with regret, you're sorry you got caught. See, you're still going to feel sorry and you're still going to feel distress and there's still going to be emotions. That stuff is still present, but it also shares the space with excuse, misplaced justification, anger, blame. No real change actually takes place. And usually what I like to call verbal diarrhea. You just say anything to get yourself out of this situation. I'm sorry. I'll change. I'll do better. Think of your relationships. Think of the times where this has happened. Okay, it's, uh, don't tell anyone. You'll be all right. We'll go see the pastor. We'll get some counseling. This is your fault. If you did this, I would have done this. So now I did this action because of you, and now we're here. Way to go. And nothing actually really changes maybe for a day, maybe three days. If you're really good, you can put it up for a month. But nothing really actually changes. So there's a difference between repentance and regret. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I have put a crack, a dent, a fracture in our relationship. I want to change. I do not want to do this again. Versus, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. See, God doesn't act on regret. He responds to repentance. He doesn't act when we just feel, I'm sorry I got caught. But when we're truly sorry, he responds. See, revival does not begin with a quick display of, I was wrong. It breaks through when we begin to come to God with hearts wanting to change with hearts wanting to change, with I don't want to live this way any longer, with I'm tired of the cycle, I'm tired of dealing with this, praying to God, nothing changing, me saying I'm sorry, and back on and so forth. And God says you have not obeyed my voice. But here's the thing. You can begin. 1 John 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you, will ha- so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. So I ask you this morning, is there something in your life you are sorry you got caught with? and have been coming each week offering up the same I'm sorry prayer. And today you need real revival.
to come into your life? Is there something in your life you're sorry you got caught with and have joined that cycle of coming in every week offering up the same I'm sorry prayer, I will change, and today you need real revival to come into your life. You need God really to take control. Really hand it over to him and say, I'm done. Can't touch it no more. Because sometimes when we come in and we get into that cycle, sometimes we know the word of God is convicting. We know it. We know sometimes in our minds we prepare ourselves that they may talk about things that I'm struggling with. And by the end, it's like, okay, yeah, I've got to change. I've got to change. I've got to change. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I got the prayer. I feel good. Next week, same thing. Something else took that spot for a little bit. Dealing with this this week. God, please help me. Even this morning, after the first service, people were coming up and saying to me, that's me, that's the cycle. I'm sorry I got caught with this, but I really need revival in my life. I really need spiritual awakening. I really need spiritual renewal. I need to repent, not regret. Do you need to repent? Are you tired of regretting? Our next point is revival springs up quickly because God is working on our behalf. Revival springs up quickly because God is working on our behalf. We're going to be moving into a little bit about the life of Gideon. And Pastor Rick, in in the next couple weeks, he's going to highlight some of the the people in Judges. And he's going to go on on with Gideon's life a little more in depth. So over the next little bit of this sermon, I'm just going to highlight a few things. I'm not going to be really in depth on his life. So revival springs up quickly because God is working on our behalf. Judges 6, 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak. And what does he see? Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So Gideon is hiding, trying to get some wheat in secret, threshing it so that they don't see him. And the angel of the Lord, the people are saying, we need your help. And God acts. And then he sends the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnated Christ, right there to to Gideon. And and he tells him, you're a mighty warrior. Do you get up every day and say, I'm a mighty warrior. Put your feet on the ground. Today, I'm a mighty warrior. I'm going to do things today because I'm a warrior who is mighty. We don't say that. That's how Gideon responded. I'm not a mighty warrior. The following scriptures display Christ coming to help when people ask for help. When God's people ask for help, he comes. Revival springs up quickly because God is working on our behalf. We know from Romans, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, the risen God, is already working behind the scenes of your life. Think about that. 
He knows our heart. He knows what's going on. He knows the situations. He knows that every week I'm sorry and it doesn't change. He knows that, but he's still working on our behalf. He's still putting the time in. He's still getting up every day. His feet are, he's still working. He's still coming to you, still helping. Look at me. Trust in me. Put your hope in me. I've got a plan. I got this on my own, Lord. Only talk to you when I need you. Christ is working on our behalf. We know and understand that idolatry always leads to some form of bondage and oppression. It always leads to that. The things that we put in the center of our lives will always lead us away from God and trap us in. Have you ever felt trapped by the thing you're trying to get rid of? Yeah, I see. Sometimes we feel trapped. If I get rid of this, it's going to affect this, which is going to affect this. Maybe I'll just keep this. When God says, give it to me. Christ has come to free the people and release the resources. And he's coming to do the same for us because of the victory of the cross. But here's a question. What's it going to really take for us to trust in the living God as a congregation? As a people of God called by his name, what's it really going to take for us to trust in him? Do we believe in the living God? Do, you, do we believe that he is here with us? Do we believe that he has a mighty plan, a kingdom-shaking plan for this community of believers here? We see this in the life of Gideon. Trust is a big thing. He, in verse 13, he calls God on his actions. In verse 15, he says he's the weakest of his family. He's throwing out excuses. You see, this is a true reflection of the heart that we are not trusting in God but self. See, on our own, we are weak, but in Christ, we are a mighty warrior. Those things that we go through, the, the things that we are, are set up in our lives, we feel weak against. But God, with his help, he declares that we are a mighty warrior and we can fight against them. See, Gideon wanted signs from God that he would not fail. He put God through all this test, all these tests. Do this God first. Do that first. If I wake up in the morning and I see the dew and then I'll believe this, which will lead to this. It was all these things that he wanted God to do so that he could trust in him. And God did it. Oh, God did it. But are we not like this? We want signs from God that we will not fail. My last sermon, I talked about that. I said that we are a generation of people who want signs rather than the full presence of God. We want to know what is coming when God says, rest in me, and I'll lead you through what is coming. We believe the message of God, but do we deep down believe the promise of God? See, we know the message. We know that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross in our place for our sins and that he was put in the tomb and raised back to life and that when we trust in him, we will be risen as well, putting our whole faith and trust in him. We know the message, but do we believe the promise? Do we believe that he will walk us through each day? Do we believe that he will never leave us or forsake us? Do we believe the promise? Will God come through for us if we put our full trust in him? 
See, the root cause of our problem is unbelief. See, unbelief leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to broken promises. And broken promises leaves us running. And when we run from God, we live in a primitive existence. And before you know it, instead of the people of God leading, marching, making an influence in the community, making an influence for the people who are walking through the doors, making an influence on each other, we're broken, scattered, and hiding in caves. We let other things be our stronghold instead of letting God be God. We can get used to living the w- this way, and before long, it seems okay. When God says, this is not your promise, this is not your plan, this is not what I have in store for your life, this is not what I have in store for your church, this is not what I have in store. Why are you living this way? The church, the people of God, we still live in a primitive existence because we allow outside desires and man-made idols to monopolize kingdom resources. Isn't it not time to say no to this way of living and allow God to break through? Is it time for true repentance to happen? Has the coin illustration or the quarter illustration that I said, the problems that we face Even kingdom problems or kingdom opportunities look too big for us. But if we were all in this together, wouldn't it seem like nothing? If we were all to give, if we were all to be in, if we were all allowing God to say, yes, yes, I will move you. Where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. What What you move, I'll move. Steve, I don't know. Yeah. I will follow you. I know that part. I will follow you. I know that part. I will follow you. Is God calling us today to say, yeah, where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. I will follow you. Will you allow God to bring revival to your spiritual life and to the corporate gathering by destroying the idols that use up kingdom resources and keep you from trusting fully in God? for your families, for your workplaces, for the community, for the kingdom. And if you're ready, I'm not referring to I'm sorry I got caught moments, but real change. Real change, you're tired of living the cycle. You want real revival to happen. You want full lives for God to begin. Here's what we're gonna do today. After I pray, I'm just going to ask you to worship Jesus. Worship God. I'm going to ask Pastor Steve to come back up and lead us in a song to close us off. But if you've been feeling that upon your heart this morning, I just want you to worship Jesus. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what's going on. Tell him that you want real revival to begin. Tell him you're all in. Tell him you're putting your trust in him fully. If that's where you're at today, we'll worship together. Father God, we love you and we know that you have a great plan. We know that you have great plans for our lives. You have great plans for Calvary. You have great plans for the community, the Durham region. 
and you use your people to accomplish those things. Your word declares it. It tells us. You don't need us, but you allow us to be a part of your great plan. We get to see you move. We get to see you be God. This morning, God, as we come to you, for some of us in this room today, we've been in that cycle of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I'm in this cycle. Just make it go away. Let me feel a little different today. When we really need true revival, spiritual revival in our hearts, in our families, in our community, in our church. And only you can do that. But it comes when we obey you. So God, as we come to you this morning, we pray that your, that your promise would be upheld and that we would believe it. That you would never leave us or forsake us. That you're already acting in our lives. And you already know the prayers that are going to be prayed and the lives that are going to change. And you're going to use this gathering to affect the kingdom, the community, each other, because we love and trust in you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Very beginning today, of today, I said that we can hold God's word and look back and see a generation for God and a generation against God. We just saw the Israelites hiding in caves. The New Testament gives us a great picture of what it's like to be a generation that loves God. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad, sincere hearts. And they enjoyed, and praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily of those who were being saved. What a great picture. So what do we do now? Well, before you leave today, tell somebody. Tell somebody that you're all in. Maybe say, I gave up an idol today, and I asked God to take that place. Share with the brothers and sisters that you're in if you declared that with the Lord today. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are strong and mighty and that you give us a clear picture of what it's like for a generation to be all in. May our congregation be like the Acts Church. May we love each other and love you and may you add to us daily and may nobody be in need as we, together, the people, are giving our time, our money, our love, and our possessions to you and you do what you need to do. We trust in you, great Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have an awesome day. God bless.